Now turn with me, please, over to the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 1. Did he, in fact, rise from the dead? What does the Scripture say? Matthew 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples word. The construction of the Bible is one of the most, I believe, the most exciting in all of the world. Nowhere does the continuity run as, ex as well as through it. Nowhere is the obvious result of the one against the other, the natural projection and procession of events as logically produced as in the Scripture. Jesus Christ is presented as the, the promised bud in Genesis and heralded as the finished fruit yonder in the book of Revelation. It speaks of one God, one scarlet scheme of redemption, one thread of salvation, courses its wonderful pages. The greatest literature in all of the world is within its pages. Nothing can compare with the prologue to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was known. For sheer excitement and epic beauty, the greatest war stories and love stories, the greatest adventure of all time, it is all there in the pages of the book we revere and refer to as the Word of God. By its very nature, it does not have very many questions in it. Most of all, the Bible is busy about making dynamic pronouncements and statements. It does not ask. It says, In the beginning was the Word. I and the Father are one. They that have seen me have seen the Father. Any man that tries to go any other way is a thief and a liar. Ask what ye will in my name, and I will do it. I destroy this temple and I will raise it up again. I will come again. The government shall be upon his shoulders and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And he shall reign forever and ever. And every eye shall see him over and over is the emphatic, dynamic, dramatic presentation and pronouncement of the Word of God. But we do have some interesting questions in the Bible. Am I my brother's keeper? Adam, where art thou? If a man dies, shall he live again? What must I do to be saved? Sirs, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Are but a few. But here we have one of those strange combinations of a proposition made in the form of a question and answered in a dynamic statement all rolled in one. 
It says simply, if Christ be not risen, then your preaching is in vain. Now, I want to follow that and unfold it for us this morning and ask and suppose and state the solutions to some other most important Bible propositions. Number one, we shall start where the apostle starts. If Christ be not risen, then your preaching is in vain. Now, why preaching? Why is that so important? Because preaching, the heralding of the gospel message, is the essence of Christianity. That's why we have the pulpit in the middle of the church. It is not a sidelight. It is not secondary. It is the most important thing that we do in heralding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what is the message that we preach today? The Apostle Paul said, I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the words of our Lord when he said, If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me, have all contributed to us making the vehicle of, our, of the propagation of our religion, the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ, primary in our churches. But I remind you this morning that even a surface survey of the New Testament preachers, apostles and disciples, will quickly reveal to you that it was not the preaching of the cross as that was the primary message of the early preachers. It was not that Christ died, yea, rather, that he was risen again. For a supposed Savior dying on a cross was old hat. They had come by the thousands, these impostors. They were going to save mankind from this and that. But they all died, and they were all dead and gone. But the apostles, the disciples, had a different quality of preaching that was prominent throughout all of the Word of God. It was not that Christ died, but that he had risen again. This made him different. This offered a degree of hope. This made life different for the believer in Jesus Christ. He was not just another follower of another way. He was a follower of the way, of him who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the apostle says, if Christ be not risen, then is your preaching in vain. Christianity, you see, is a dead issue. It all hinges, it all rises and falls on the question of the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, has even made it a condition of salvation. Now, there are those who say, well, it really doesn't matter. You can ascribe to the swoon theory and believe that he merely fainted on the cross. And then he came forth out of the grave when the cool air revived him. Here's a man hanging on a cross six hours with a spear thrust into his side, wound up with tight rags, put in a, in a, in a, uh, a tomb. Two days later, he pushes back a 12-ton stone, comes struggling and grappling out of the cross, and announces himself as the Savior of the, of the world. He did not die. He merely passed out, and the cool air revived him. You can say that's what happened. You can deny the veracity of the Scripture. You can bring into repute the validity of the Word of God. You can scoff and reject it until you die. But, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says it is not up for grabs. The question is not under discussion. It is not our privilege and prerogative to choose. You have no choice. Listen. For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, heralding the result of your heart, 
Jesus Christ as Lord. And the copulative continues the thought. He said, there's more to it. And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And I believe the Apostle Paul has made it the touchstone of salvation, the crucible and crux, the corner, the zenith of it all, as to whether or not men really have saving faith. And many people who say, well, it really doesn't matter. Air, it does matter. It is the heart of the thing. Again, if you confess with your mouth, Christ is your Lord, before men receive him, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I submit to you conversely that though you believe, confess with your mouth, but you disbelieve the resurrection of Christ in your heart, thou shalt not be saved. Without this, we have no religion, no salvation, no message, no nothing. It is the heart and crux of the gospel message. Again, if Christ be not risen, your preaching is vain. You preach a lie. You have nothing. The heart and core is taken out, and Christianity is a dead issue. Secondly, if Christ be not risen, the Bible tells us, listen, he was delivered for our offenses, crucified, and raised again for our justification. And he has added in the book of 1 Corinthians, If Christ be not risen, ye are yet in your sins. You see, it was on Calvary that Jesus Christ made possible salvation. It was in the resurrection that he gave salvation. Suppose I were to disinherit and disown one of my children. Years later, I would say to them, I forgive you. All is forgiven and forgotten. I would be pardoning them. But I would have to go a step beyond to go to the courts and legally bring them back into my family. Now, on the cross, he made peace with God. He assured our peace with God. In the resurrection, he made possible our presence with God again. He was crucified for our sins, but he was raised again for our justification. If Christ be not raised, we are still in the condition of our sins. It was on the cross that he purchased the ticket to heaven. It was in the resurrection that he spent the ticket. It was in the cross that he made possible salvation. It was in the resurrection that he gave salvation. It is not a byproduct of our theology. It is not an unimportant issue for us to choose to believe or disbelieve. It is the heart and core and crux of the Christian religion. If Christ be not risen, if he merely died for sin, but did not vindicate that death by his death-defying resurrection, then the Bible says we are yet in our sins, lost and of all men most miserable. Number three, if Christ Jesus be not risen, then I submit to you that at best he was misguided, deceived, and confused. Albert Feitzer, contemporary, contemporary liberal theologian, ascribes to that theory and says that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he expected when he said it is finished to see the immediate descent of the kingdom of God on earth. And when it did not happen, he died in frustration and knew for the first time in his life that he was not the Savior after all. 
He thought he was, but he found himself to be deceived, and he died the most confused of all. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then at the very best, he was confused and deceived and misguided and mixed up as to whom he was and what he was on this earth to do. For he had said, I will rise from the dead. Now, if a man were to come to town and raise himself from the dead and say, say, I will raise myself from the dead, we would think he was crazy. We would think he was out of his mind. Jesus Christ lived in just such and skeptical and doubting, confused generation. It was when he rose again that he gave validity to his teaching and to his claims. The Son of Man is the bread of life come down from heaven to earth. And I and the Father are one. Fourthly, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, if he was not at best misguided, then he was at worst at least a fool and a liar as well. For he emphatically said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up. You cannot keep me in the grave. Against the grave on that dark Friday night, a stone weighing 12 tons is rolled. The seal of the Roman governor is placed upon it. The guard is doubled. The Jews are there. The Roman Empire is there. Satan is there. The Father is there. Those faithful women, in spirit at least, when the disciples had fled, were there as well. This was no accident. This was the very heart of all Christian experience. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, had come to do battle with the darkness of the world. He had not done battle on his own ground. He had invaded hell, death, sin, and the grave to do hand-in-hand conflict and a facial confrontation with sin. The world was watching beneath the swollen waters of the grave. All of the powers of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness were doing battle. What was going on? Would they win or would he? Then on that Sunday morning, as the sky began to dawn gold and crimson toward the east, the bowels of the earth began to rumble. The angel of God came from heaven and touched it, and it rolled back. Lo, in the grave he lay, yes, but he had become the victor over the dark domain, and hallelujah, up from the grave he arose. We could not, nor would we, nor should we sing hallelujah, and stand straight up until the goosebumps go up and down our spine with the glory of God when a choir sings the hallelujah chorus if we were serving a dead Savior in an abandoned grave. But, oh, they have come, though they have claimed, though they have triumphed and contributed to a degree, you will find, if you will search for the graves of all the greats, all the philosophers, all of the emperors, all of the supposed saviors, But, friend, you will search a thousand graveyards on a hundred thousand hillsides today, and you'll never find my Savior in any grave because he lives. He lives. That's why we began by singing, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he's living. I don't care what men say. You may argue about my theology. You may know more about science and about, uh, you may be better educated than I. 
You may know more about walking on the moon and space issues and evolution and even theology than I, but there's one thing on which I am the world's ultimate authority, and that is what the risen Christ has done in the heart and life of John Bassanio. That I know. You ask me how I know he lives, I'll tell you how, because he lives within my heart. He's there. I have experienced him. I walk with him. I talk with him. I live with him. Billy Graham heard that God was dead. He said, well, that's strange. I talked to him just this morning, and he was feeling perfectly fine. Listen, when you talk to him, when he lives in your heart and life, you're going to know that he lives. If Christ be not risen, then he lied because he said he would raise from the dead. And if he lied, he has disqualified himself from being the Savior of the world, and we're all a bunch of misfits on the way to hell. Because God is a perfect God. And Christ was the only perfect substitution for the sins of the world. And if he lied, if he sinned in one point, he was not perfect and cannot be my Savior. And if he was not perfect, there is no perfection and there is no salvation for any of us. If Christ be not risen, he lied, for he said, I will lie, and he sinned, and he is not my Savior, and I'm lost. And we're all without hope and without God. Fifthly, if Jesus Christ be not risen, I raise the question, what happened to his body? Where is the body? They came. And they said, now remember that imposter said, I'll raise from the dead. We want to do more about guarding the tomb, lest someone steal him away. And the governor said, you have a watch. You have someone watching it. Go and double it. Triple it if you want. Do what you will. The quaternion guard that had crucified him was gone and was replaced by 12 soldiers, now doubled. There they stood with spear, alert on the job. The Jews were there. The Roman soldiers were there. The government of the mightiest country that ever existed before this one was there. The next morning, the tomb was empty. The stone was gone. Who took the body? How did he get out? Produce the body, produce the remains, produce the evidence of a dead Christ. If Christ be not risen, where is the body? Who moved the stone? I suppose Jesus Christ, crucified, did revive in the tomb and came struggling and barely with enough physical strength out of it, pushed back that 12-stone ton stone by himself. I suppose those three women, the precious Marys, God bless them, came and moved it back. Those three little frail women overpowered twelve strong Roman guards, and they stole the body. Where were the disciples? The cross did not make heroes out of them. The cross made cowards out of them. They fled to the ends of the world. They didn't come and challenge the might of the Roman Empire. I ask you today, if Jesus Christ is not risen, why have we no evidence of the body produced to show that the living Christ is in reality the dead Christ. Sixthly, if Christ be not risen, I submit to you that the greatest organization, organism, institution, call it what you will, the church is concocted and perpetrated upon the greatest lie ever devised in the history of the world. How can it be that men die for him? How can it be? You see, the church uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word picture there is not one of the poor church hanging on defenselessly. It is a militant, aggressive, exciting, moving, going church to assert in the face of all of the evidence, the hospitals, 
the good work, the people won to Christ, the poor fed and clothed, and all of the good that the church has done and been, and all of its existence through all of history in the face of overwhelming opposition has existed and consisted until this very day, builded and established upon a man who lied and is dead, and not on the living Christ himself, in the face of overwhelming evidence, is absolute absurdity. What is the governing force? What is this presence among us? What is this koinonia? What is this something that makes people stand around and talk about him? What is it that gives people life? What makes them want to be, makes them excited? What makes them go to the mission field and live and die and give and be for Jesus Christ? Jesus said it himself. On this rock, this rock-like Petron, not Petros, Petra, man, Jesus himself, not something, someone, fact that I am the Son of God, I'll build my church. How has the church managed to survive through the centuries? She is existing on the living, unfailing foundation of the living Lord. Jesus Christ is her foundation. If Christ be not risen, then what is the force, the power that makes the church the overcoming church? If Jesus Christ be not risen, I submit to you then that the world has no authoritative message as to life after death. And for a Christian to say, I do not know. No one has ever been to the grave. No one has ever returned from eternity is ridiculous. We do have the resurrection. Jesus Christ went in to the death and hell and sin in the grave, met the devil on his ground, went into his battle arena, and there stripped him and came back from sin, hell, death, and the grave with the keys of eternity swinging at his belt put out his chest and said, I'm the resurrection. I'm the way. I'm the conqueror. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He has mastered death. Now the, the apostle Paul has said, I think almost in jest. Oh, death, now where is thy sting? He pulled the stinger out of death. Now he made it an old, gumming, toothless, defunct pussycat. Now, grave, now where is your victory? Jesus Christ has robbed and stolen death and hell and sing in the grave of its sting and its victory and its power and a Christian can look at it and laugh it in the face. If Jesus Christ be not risen on this glad day, we have no authoritative message as to life beyond the grave. If Jesus Christ be not risen, you will never see your loved ones again. When you lay them beneath a grave and the sods were placed upon that casket and the grass began to grow and you said goodbye, if you do not have Jesus Christ in your heart and life and faith in him, then it was goodbye forever. But listen, he tells us to comfort each other in 1 Thessalonians 4 with these words. For if we believe that Christ died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Christ will God bring with him. You see, Jesus is coming back to this earth. And the spirits and the souls, the real you, the one you knew and loved, of every man and woman that has died with their faith in Christ, is coming back with him to the world at the coming of Christ. But he says, if you believe that he died and rose again, then Christ will bring them with them to you. But if you disbelieve the resurrection of Christ, 
If you have not the resurrected Christ living in your heart, they will come, but not to be with you. They will come in judgment to rule the world and to help God judge and reign over a wicked world that has rejected Jesus Christ. You will never see your loved ones again in peace, in joyful reunion, and how we shall know them indeed. For to be sure, we will not be less intelligent then than we were in this life. But if that is not true, if Christ be not raised from the dead and is not raised and living in your heart, then you will never see one of your loved ones again. And were Jesus Christ to come before this service were over, the coming of Christ would split this audience not into the church members and the non-church members, not into the intellectuals and the uneducated, not into the rich and the poor, not the Baptists and the Methodists, but the saved and the lost. And you would be divided from that little baby in the nursery. You would be separated eternally from that husband, that father that you love. If you do not have the living Christ in your heart, if Christ be not risen, and you do not believe it, and respond to it, and accept it, and let Him live in you, you shall never ever even see your loved ones again. If Christ be not risen, this other word, what changed the disciples? What changed the disciples? You say, oh, the cross. Now, wait a minute. You, you, you haven't read the scriptures lately. The cross did not make heroes out of them. It made cowards out of them. Not one stayed by the cross. Oh, their exquisite dreams of beauty, their visions of grandeur had fled. Like a mirage in a de desert, it was gone. And it was back to the fishing nets, back to collecting taxes, back to the workaday world. Their dreams shattered, their Savior on the cross. But in less than two months, they were turning the world upside down for God. They were back on the track. They were shaking empires for the resurrected Christ. They were dying martyrs' death. They were preaching on Pentecost. They were proclaiming on the street corners. They were confronting the Jews. They were dying deaths of persecution. What changed them from cowards to conquerors? They had seen the resurrected Christ face to face, and they were never the same again. If Christ did not rise, what changed the cowards to conquerors? If Christ be not risen, what changed the world's greatest antagonist of the church to its greatest protagonist? What changed the Apostle Paul? Saul of Tarsus thought he did God's service in throwing Christians into jail. He killed them left and right. He slaughtered them and filled the cemeteries with their graves. But in one three-day period, he was transformed, began giving testimony of the fact that something had happened in his life, and he became the greatest pillar of the New Testament church. What changed the world's greatest enemy of the church to the church's greatest friend? If not this, over and over again, Paul emphatically confirmed that he had had a visual, tangible, personal, face-to-face -face confrontation with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had met him on the Damascus Road. He had appeared to him, risen from the dead, and transformed his life. Now the Apostle Paul had all kinds of, eye, of problems. He had perhaps epilepsy. He had an eye disease, perhaps. They surmised that he stuttered. He was a physical wreck. Now, there are those who merely affirm that what happened to him was not an appearance of the risen Christ, but that the Apostle Paul say many a modern theologian merely had an epileptic seizure 
in the midst of a Tacoa rainstorm. And the lightning scared him, knocked him off of the donkey. He had a fit and he jumped up and he thought he was converted. Well, if that be true, then I submit to you that we ought to pray for a, an onslaught of Tacoa rainstorms and an epidemic of epilepsy. Because whatever happened to him ought to be happening to all of us. There wasn't a thing wrong with Paul that had not to be wrong with you and with me. Whatever he had, this world needs a good dose of. What happened? He attested over and over again this giant of the intellect that he had met the risen Christ face to face. A last word, if Christ be not risen, what changed my life? I was no saint as a boy. As a professional dance band leader, as a teenager, I had the world at my feet. Grown men working for me, nightclubs, bands, everything a boy's heart could desire. There was an empty spot. There was something missing. It was always the next date, the next thrill, the next experience, the next drink, the next dance, the next club, the next date, the next, the next uh, paycheck. Always the next one that was going to satisfy me. By the time I was 19, I was a confused, frustrated boy. I'd blown all the gaskets and popped all the corks, and there was nothing left, and I was an old man and not 20. And then one day I heard a man tell me that Jesus Christ lived. He loved me. He was the answer to what I need. But this light of the world wanted to shine in my life. And I responded in simple faith and gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I did not have to have any kind of an analyst to tell me what to do. There was born inside of my heart a renewed understanding, a new desire of the will of God and the desire to do it. Now every time I want to get drunk and go nightclubbing and boozing it up, I still do, but I just don't want to anymore. Jesus Christ changed my want to. God changed the core of my heart. He came on the inside and changed the man that lives inside of the body. If Christ be not risen, if he did not do it, I ask you to explain what has happened to me and tens of thousands and untold hundreds of thousands like me all over this world who have experienced the saving power of the resurrected Christ living in their hearts. Do you know him? Have you received him today? Is he your personal, loving, living, serving, risen Lord in your heart by faith? If not, I ask you to accept him in a quiet, personal, committal of you to him of yourself to his self. And if you will, this will be the grandest resurrection, the greatest Sunday, the most marvelous Easter you ever have or ever shall experience. May we stand and pray together.